You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. German police raid a Panama Papers-connected slush fund. North Korea spearfishes in the North American power grid. Security tools can be dual-use, too. Notes on Cyber Maryland, where we heard about business climates, the Baltimore to Birmingham cyber connection, the Red Queen's race, and the curmudgeonly demeanor too many security types cop. And Google Home's mini-speakers were apparently listening and tattling, as well as just speaking. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, October 12, 2017. Remember the Panama Papers, the doxed law firm's files that contained apparent signs of illicit or at least questionable money laundering? The anonymous hack of Panamanian law firm Mossack Fonseca in 2015 has had some legal fallout in Europe. German federal criminal police raided what Deutsche Welle characterizes as a 2 million euro slush fund embezzled by a former Siemens manager. The Panama Papers were particularly interesting because the materials released by the unidentified whistleblower, or hacktivist, or organization, or agency, known only as John Doe, included a fair bit of discreditable information about Russian oligarchs close to President Putin. North Korean cyber operators are reported to be probing various U.S. companies for vulnerability to attack. FireEye reports that it detected and stopped spearfishing attempts against utility company officers in late September. An attack of the North American power grid would of course be attractive to DPRK war planners, but doing so isn't as simple as zombie apocalypse tales might lead one to believe. ICS security firm Dragos, for one, regards the likelihood of a grid takedown as fairly remote. Most of the press attention has understandably focused on targeting of electrical utilities, but the campaign is broader than that. Pyongyang appears interested in industrial control systems generally. South Korean sources are reporting an interesting twist on the North's approach to cyber operations. They think they're seeing hacktivism, which would seem difficult to foster in a country as closed and tightly controlled as the DPRK. We heard from Phil Nire of industrial cybersecurity firm CyberX, who offered the following comment, quote, Targeting U.S. energy companies with phishing emails isn't new, but it's the first time we've seen it tied to North Korean actors rather than Russian or Iranian hackers. And don't be fooled by people saying we shouldn't worry because the hackers haven't compromised any of our industrial control systems. The easiest way for adversaries to get into our control networks is to deploy password-stealing malware onto the computer of a control systems engineer, and then use their legitimate credentials to directly access the control systems thereafter. This immediately bypasses any perimeter protections you might have on the network, such as firewalls. End quote. We also heard from Alien Vault's Chris Doman, who thinks, quote, the recent North Korea cyber hack may relate to the reported August 2016 compromise of the South Korean Ministry of Defense. 
The group behind those attacks is on Dariel, and likely a subgroup of the attackers behind the Sony attacks, WannaCry, and Swift Banks. They are very active, and I continue to see new malware samples from them every week. End quote. Revelations that Kaspersky security software appear to have been subverted into espionage tools prompt reflection on the risks antivirus products present, given the access they typically require. This would seem an instance of the familiar dual-use problem. Another instance would be the ease with which benign scanners could be converted into denial-of-service tools. Many software developers are using containers in their development pipelines, wrapping up their work in lightweight, standalone, executable packages. John Morello is chief technology officer at Twistlock, a company that specializes in container security, and he gives us an overview on containers and how to keep them safe. So a container is technology that allows you to to, to basically bundle up uh, all the parts of your application uh, into a, a file that's called an image. But kind of imagine a zip file that includes all the things that are required to run your app, not just the, the binaries themselves, but you know maybe also the libraries that they depend on. You know small small pieces of of other packages that they use to bundle all that up together. And then a container is basically a way um, of organizing uh, on Linux, like namespaces that allow you to take a single operating system and to effectively segment it up into multiple kind of zones, if you will. So similar to the way that a hypervisor like VMware or Hyper-V will segment up a single piece of hardware and expose it as individual sort of virtual machines and, and each VM kind of only knows about itself and can only affect itself, containers do a similar thing, but they virtualize the operating system. So a container might run inside of a VM or, or maybe even on a bare metal server, but what the container is trying to do is to say this particular app, um, even though it's sharing the same operating system kernel with other applications that are also in containers, it only sees itself. It only sees its own file system. It only sees its own process activity and so forth, which enables you to have fewer problems with like, you know, compatibility and, and you know, one app requiring a particular version of something that another one doesn't and so they can't run at the same time or, you know, concurrency problems with a, an application that's not able to uh, to share resources with uh, with other applications properly. Those are all the kinds of things that containers enable you to do. But the broader value is when you combine containers as a technology with the notion of, of kind of DevOps and continuous integration as an operational practice, those two things really go together well and enables you to build your application, to service your application, deploy your application much more efficiently and much faster. Because with containers, the artifact that you create, that image that you create during the build process is exactly the same thing that you deploy and run in production, which enables you to have a, a really smooth way of saying, like, I built this, I tested this, I deployed this, it's the same everywhere. And I know that I can easily uh, increment that because I don't have to worry about compatibility and installation and so forth. The underlying tool really makes me be able to focus just on the application itself and not worry about how it interplaces with, with the rest of the parts of, of the stack. And so what are the security concerns when it comes to containers? Well, again, I think fundamentally we think that containers are, are not so much a security concern as they are just a different technology, something that that both provides a, a lot of opportunity to do things from a security standpoint better than you could before because, again, they're much more minimalistic. You know, you understand what the container is going to do because it's only doing one thing as opposed to a VM, which has all kinds of other stuff inside of it. The things that a lot of people, you know, oftentimes uh, are focused on with security for containers, first of all, is often around vulnerability management because you're building a lot more of the 
these entities. They change a lot more frequently, um, and the responsibility for securing them becomes much more the onus of the developer and, and less so about the operations team. So being able to understand like what components you have in your images, whether those components have vulnerabilities, and to be able to kind of continuously understand your vulnerability posture, both for those things that you're building and what's already running, that's an important thing that, um, that organizations need to deal with. Secondly, I would say is around the uh, compliance for that, because containers as a different technology, a lot of the same, you know, core best practices, you know, running as the least privilege, having operational segmentation, um, you know, making sure that you've got sort of a minimal attack surface. Those things are still just as applicable for containers as they were for VMs and physical servers before that. But because containers are different, you need to have a different set of tooling to help you deal with that, right? So you need to have something that checks the configuration and the settings and enforces those things uh, in a way that's that's makes sense for containers versus trying to retrofit that from, from virtual machines into this new space. And then finally, Finally, and I think probably the, the biggest part of it is, as you're running your applications and containers, how can you uh, apply those those capabilities that I talked about earlier, the, the fact that they're declarative, minimal, predictable, how can you apply that to help you do security differently? Because containers, by their nature, you're dealing with a different problem space. Instead of a VM in which you would deploy it one time and you know run it for months or maybe years without ever decommissioning it, you would just upgrade it in place. With containers, not only is that going to be much more short-lived, like every time you update the app, you're going to destroy the containers and replace them with a new version of the app. But those containers themselves, you're going to have a lot more of them because you're going to decompose that that big monolith VM into a set of microservices. So, you know, your your website, which might have been a, a single virtual machine, now might be 10 or 20 different microservices that you're running in individual containers. And so you're dealing with a, a, an order of magnitude more end entities to, to manage. Those end entities change much more rapidly because, again, as you as you revision your application, they're, uh, they're changing on a much more frequent basis. And the tooling that you've had historically to manage those virtual machines is, is largely sort of irrelevant. It, it doesn't it doesn't have the, I guess, the ability to, to see into containers to understand how they work and to give you the kind of protections that you need there. So those are kind of the big challenges. I wouldn't say there's, there's so much like security problems with containers. It's just, again, a different problem space, a different set of, uh, of tools that you need to address that problem space. That's John Morello from Twistlock. Cyber Maryland opened yesterday in Baltimore and continues today. The annual conference this year featured unusually heavy representation from the United Kingdom as companies from the English Midlands continued the growing trend of transatlantic cooperation between two regions that have a great deal in common. An alpha cybersecurity customer and an ecosystem of startups and established companies around that customer. A few quick takes on yesterday's sessions. Maryland Governor Larry Hogan described what he characterized as the deliberately business-friendly environment the state has created, and Senator Chris Van Hollen talked about the important role federal agencies had assumed in the state's economy. A panel discussion on the new CISO from tech guru to corporate leader highlighted the importance of communication between security leaders and boards of directors. A well-known point, but illustrated with examples of how what one panelist called the curmudgeonly default personality security and IT people tend to assume can interfere with such communication. It also brought into relief a less commonly appreciated fact about the security sector, the relative unimportance of formal credentials as opposed to experience and demonstrated ability. So those who thought they saw a smoking gun in music and language degrees held by Equifax security leaders were, if you'll forgive the mixed metaphor, barking up the wrong tree. And a plenary session on the Red Queen's race, the race in Alice in Wonderland that requires you to run as fast as you can just to keep up, 
concluded with an argument that platforms, not point solutions, were the way to break free of the Red Queen. McAfee's Brett Kelsey said, I don't want a bodyguard for this and for this and for this. I want a police force. We'll have more on these and other sessions in upcoming issues of the CyberWire. Finally, Google Home's mini smart speakers appear to have been listening as well as speaking, and worse yet, it was reporting conversations back to Mountain View. Google has patched to fix the privacy bug, but consumers find it unnerving. So Mountain View, don't be evil, and everyone's glad you've patched. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Rick Howard. He's the chief security officer at Palo Alto Networks, and he also heads up Unit 42, their threat intelligence uh, team. Rick, uh, welcome back. Uh, you and I have talked about the cybersecurity canon before, and uh, this Hall of Fame of Books for Cybersecurity Pros is uh, coming up with a round of votes for the People's Choice Awards. Bring us up to date here. Yes, we are talking about the canon of literature here, uh, not the canon where you blow stuff up, uh, but, you <laughs> right. know, books that you read. Yeah, well, uh, it's, it's, it's important distinction, you being a, a former Army guy, right? So we got to make that <laughs> distinction. Yeah, my three fans that follow me from the Army, okay, um, I need to make that very clear. <laughs> okay. So it's sort of a rock and roll hall of fame for cybersecurity books. And one of the reasons we started it was the fact that we are all busy people. And if you were to decide this year to read a book or two to get smart on some new cybersecurity thing, you could probably go to Amazon.com and look up cybersecurity books. Well, Amazon will return you a list of some 1,500. So how do you choose? All right. So the Canon Project consists of 15 committee members. These are network defenders and CISOs, CIOs, CTOs, journalists, consultants, lawyers, and general practitioners. They read the books and write reviews that make the case that a particular book is one we all should have read by now or one that doesn't quite meet that criteria. So we've been running that project for about four years. And like I said, like the Baseball Hall of Fame, mm -hmm. we have about 35 books in the 
uh, Hall of Fame candidate list. These are books that the committee has recommended to be considered for the Hall of Fame. And we got about 15 books that we've already put into the Hall of Fame from the original candidate list. All right, so that's the backdrop. So if a book is on the list, it has been properly vetted, and it is going to be worth your time. Yes, we think that any book that makes a candidate list would make a good addition to the Hall of Fame. It just hasn't made it there yet. All right. All right, so this month, to coincide with the U.S. Cybersecurity Awareness Month, we're running what you talked about at the top of this, the People's Choice Award Contest. It started with all the books on the current candidate list, and each week we opened the voting to the public. So the books that got the most votes made it to the next round, and we are currently this week on round three with eight books still in the competition. Ah. Um, and as right now, uh, Dr. Mansour Hasib's book called Cybersecurity Leadership is out front, but the others are close behind. I'm hoping that my uh, two favorites uh, from this year will make it to the next round. That is The Code Book by Simon Singh. It's about the science and history of keeping secrets. And Metasploit, the penetration tester's guide. So th- those are my dark favorites. I hope they make it to the next round. So if people want to uh, check this out and uh, cast their own votes for the People's Choice Awards, how do they do that? They go, just look up Canon, that's with one N, okay, and Palo Alto Networks, because we're sponsoring the project. Uh, you'll get to the Canon webpage, and at the very top, you'll see a, a box that says cast your vote, and that's where you can vote for your Struggling to secure on-prem apps with modern identity? Don't worry, you're not alone. Join industry leaders from Fortune 500 organizations to secure your apps on any cloud with any IDP, regardless of your environment's complexity. Meet Strata's identity orchestration platform, Mavericks. Say goodbye to the headaches of app refactoring and legacy tech debt. With identity orchestration, you can modernize legacy apps to use MFA or passwordless authentication in a few weeks, migrate from one IDP to another, and so much more without changing the app. No matter your IAM use case, Strata extends the value of your current identity investments. And the best part? You can try it for free today. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire to share your biggest identity challenge, and they'll hook you up with a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Don't miss out. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire. That's strata.io slash cyberwire. Favorites. All right. We'll have people check it out. Uh, It's definitely worth your time. Check it out, the Cybersecurity Canon. Rick Howard, thanks for joining us. Thank you, sir. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Rick here. At N2K CyberWire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network. That's why we're inviting you to participate in our 2024 audience survey. It only takes a few minutes and your feedback is invaluable. Plus, you'll have the chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card as a thank you for your time. Head on over to cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to share your feedback now.